0: From the colorectal surgery practice at the Birmingham Hospital and associated with the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute in Boston, welcome to the Colon and Rectal Cancer Center podcast with Dr. Ronald Bleday and Dr. Jeffrey Meyerhart.
1: This is Ronald Bleday.
0: And this is Jeffrey Meyerhart.
1: Join us as we take you through real cases and real decisions that we make every day in the care of colon and rectal cancer patients. There are many straightforward cases that present to the Brigham and to the Dana-Farber, but there are many other patients that come with some complication or some nuance. Their colorectal cancer treatment is not going to be straightforward. Therefore, we consult and collaborate with other members of the treatment team to come up with the best plan.
0: We do see a lot of complicated cases, and the goal of this podcast is to present these cases and then discuss with our colleagues how best to treat
1: in this episode of the podcast, we discussed with Dr. Mario Giannakis the value of post-operative chemotherapy treatment after neoadjuvant chemoradiation and rectal cancer surgery. Dr. Giannakis is a GI medical oncologist and clinical investigator at the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute in Boston. is also an instructor in medicine at Harvard Medical School. So let's listen to Mario, and then I'd love to hear your thoughts on the matter. Uh, good afternoon, Mario. How are you? I, I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. So we had a patient and, uh, that we shared together. I just want to talk to you about sort of the decision-making we have now. So why don't you tell me about our, our mutual patient. Yeah. So. Uh,
2: so this was a 69-year-old gentleman who was uh, diagnosed sometime last year, towards the fall of 2015, with really uh, difficulty with his bowel movements as well as some rectal bleeding that he noted. He was assessed for it, evaluated by his primary care physician, who did a set of labs and found him to be very anemic. Yeah. In that context, he was admitted to the hospital and found to have a hematocrit of 20. This led, of course, to a workup, which included uh, imaging with an abdominal CT, which identified a rectal mass. And he also had a colonoscopy at that time that picked up a circumferential, a partially obstructing, fungated, uh, ulcerated mass about five centimeters from the anal verge. At that time, biopsy was done, which confirmed invasive uh, uh, rectal adenocarcinoma. The subsequent imaging he had, chest CT and a PET city that we did, did not reveal any additional um, evidence of metastatic disease, although there were some suspicious, perhaps, lymph nodes in the mesorectum.
1: Now, to that point, did you base the imaging uh, decision or the imaging staging on the PET scan and CT, or did you get an MRI, too? Uh,
2: Yeah, in this specific case, just because uh, based on the CT alone, uh, we thought that there were involved lymph nodes, we forwent the MRI. However, in most cases, to get a better sense of lymph node involvement, an MRI would be most helpful.
1: And so then, uh, what uh, pre-op therapy did you give him? Right. So the
2: clinical stage at that point was a T3N1 uh, rectal cancer, which would be a stage 3B, uh, realizing, of course, as you brought up, the limitations of our non-surgical staging. And he received, in preparation uh, for surgery, neoadjuvant chemotherapy and radiation. The chemotherapy was infusional fluorouracil, delivered at a standard dose of 225 milligrams per meter squared, throughout the week and the radiation uh, amounted to a total of 50.4 gray and yeah. that was over five weeks. This gentleman did very well during his treatment and subsequently he underwent uh, transgenal total <laughs> resurrectal right. exit. Yeah.
1: I usually like to wait eight weeks at the most, you know, seven to nine in that range, but I've seen where we've operated as early as four weeks, as late as 10, for usually other medical or logistical reasons. Uh, He had sort of the perfect uh, location for a a new technique called transanal total mesorectal excision, where you do the upper part and the middle part of the dissection uh, traditionally or with a laparoscope, but you do the lower part starting through the anus, and you dissect through the rectal wall just above the uh, uh, sphincter, And you actually go up and you meet yourself uh, from the bottom, Uh, you meet yourself uh, from above, and then you're able to take it out. And it went very smoothly. The only thing about it is it obligates you to do a very low, if not coloanal anastomosis, which he was going to require anyways. So, um, yeah, he did great. He went home, had to come back because of some dehydration from his ileostomy, but that was then uh, taken care of after a day or two. And then... Uh, he's doing well now, but uh, tell us about the pathology. Yeah, you know? we're all
2: very happy to see that uh, the results of his pathology showed a, a complete response. He had uh, no evidence of malignancy at his resection specimen. Of course, the margins uh, were negative, uh, and there were no uh, involved lymph nodes with uh, more than 20, I believe, you know, yes. lymph nodes dissected. So this would uh, qualify as a uh, pathologic now, T0 and 0, after his new adjuvant therapy. Which was great news. But that of course brings up the controversial question, which would have been, by the way, controversial regardless of his pathology response. But the question is the role of adjuvant now chemotherapy in a patient who underwent new adjuvant chemotherapy and radiation, especially in someone who has had such a magnificent response. Yeah. So that is I guess our you know <laughs> hot and grey zone That's uh, our top- yeah. topic of discussion. Yeah. That's right. Yeah.
1: So This is what always uh, sort of confuses me as a surgeon. Uh, If a patient has a stage 2 colon cancer, often I'd say most patients are observed and are not given adjuvant chemotherapy unless they have sort of very high-risk features. But a stage 2 rectal cancer, whether it's uh, stage 2 that you find um, post-preoperative radiation or if you actually think that the nodes are negative but a T3N0, still will get post-operative chemotherapy. That's right. Yeah. So I, I'm just a simple surgeon. So I... No,
2: but you're bringing up an excellent point. Um, so traditionally, historically, you know, the earlier stage rectal cancers were thought to worse than colon because of local recurrence problems. So that prompted the incorporation of, for example, radiotherapy and subsequently chemoradiation in the treatment of earlier stage rectal cancers. However, that did not, at that point, address, and even now we don't have a great answer, about the role of chemotherapy. Right. So, historically, radiation was shown to be helpful in local control, and chemotherapy with radiation has become the standard in the adjuvant setting. The German rectal study, of course, showed that doing preoperative chemotherapy and radiation compared to postoperative chemotherapy and radiation leads to an improved uh, local recurrence. It did not show, by the way, benefit in disease-free survival or overall survival. But that benefit in local recurrence established that as our standard. Moreover, I would say there have been a lot of trials to suggest what is the best chemotherapy to combine with radiotherapy, uh, including a variety of trials assessing whether oxaliplatin on top of fluorouracil with radiation is better, but the jury is still out. I would say a lot of them have been negative. You know, the STAR trial, the sabp 4 trial, the ACCORD trial have not shown a benefit to intensifying chemotherapy together with radiation. Uh, there was, of course, the German trial from 2004 showing a benefit. So this is a controversial topic. The guidelines carried right now suggest that chemotherapy with radiation with fluorouracil or capecitabine is the standard given preoperatively. But that leaves a big question of what do we do post-operatively, and is there a role for adjuvant chemotherapy? Which, as you said, in colon cancer has been shown to be beneficial, but those patients don't get any treatment preoperatively.
1: So the other question I have is that uh, there was a, about a year and a half ago, there was uh, some comment uh, at a memorial and out of Europe saying that if a person had a complete response, maybe that's the group that okay. should just get observation. And right. you, you looked into that. That's yeah.
2: right. I looked into that. And before getting that, I should say that there have been some trials to, adze- to address the question of uh, adjuvant chemotherapy for patients who have been treated with adjuvant chemotherapy in radiation. There have been now uh, five randomized trials that have tried to answer that. The yeah. main one that we should probably mention is the EORTC trial, which showed that it was a 2 by 2 factorial design where patients who got either radiation, chemoradiation before surgery, but importantly they got chemotherapy or observation following those regimens. And that trial was negative in terms of disease free survival and overall survival.
1: For the be- there was no benefit of, there of the was additional no benefit
2: of the additional post operative chemotherapy. Right, right. But it was as trials go, there was perhaps a suggestion and people were excited because they saw maybe a separation of the curve at two years for DFS and at five years of overall survival. In that trial, to get to your question about the degree of response and whether it matters, there was, in an unplanned exploratory analysis, benefits seen in only the YPT0 to T2 patients. Right. So the ones that had shown downstaging seemed to derive a benefit. However, the findings of this trial were not recapitulating the longer 10-year follow-up meaning those curves did not stay separated. So yeah. it was a negative trial suggesting that there is no role for adjuvant chemo for patients who received radiation, And also the downstaging benefit was also not confirmed. This trial, of course, you know, brought up the question and the doubt whether we should do adjuvant chemotherapy in colon cancer, for the, in rectal cancer in those patients' period. Yeah. There were yeah. two other smaller trials, the Italian study, and the Dutch study, the proctor script study, and they were both negative in terms of showing a benefit to adjuvant chemotherapy in pre-treated patients with chemotherapy and radiation. None of those trials, however, as you suggest, stratified according to pathologic stage on surgery. There was another uh, trial of, called Chronicle that involved a more intensive adjuvant chemotherapy treatment with oxaliplatin that was almost, uh, also negative. The weaknesses of those four trials were the fact that there was very poor adherence to postoperative adjuvant chemotherapy. In both the URTC trial as well as the Italian study and the other studies, only 43% or so of patients proceeded to receive that adjuvant uh, therapy.
1: Which so they were just feeling that, well, this person over there is not getting it. Why should I get it? Was yeah, there... so
2: I think the thought was that, you know, especially for the URTC trial, the randomization happened before surgery. So, several patients had post-op complications, yeah. some of them, you know, uh, got infections, and so forth. So, there was not a randomization after um, surgery. And, obviously, adherence was poor because the thought is toxicity of the whole regimen they had received before, including the chemotherapy and the radiation. Right. If anything, surgery alone probably was not the major thing that prevented them because in prior trials w- where patients were treated upfront with surgery, adherence was pretty good I see. following up with post-operative, for example, chemotherapy and radiation or yeah. chemotherapy. Yeah. So it's very likely that the whole thing, chemotherapy and radiation, followed by surgery, was a little bit too toxic for some patients.
1: I see.
2: That, by the way, has prompted in places around the country, induction trials where now you're putting the chemotherapy... And the chemotherapy and radiation before surgery.
1: So that is interesting because, again, we're believing imaging that is flawed because there's a lot of false positives. Um, and even if the imaging shows that there's a node negative patient, sure. uh, there's some argument to still give the patient chemotherapy. And I think I would personally not think it would be a big deal, except for the Exali Platinum, which has. Right. A small chance of mistakes. a permanent yeah. neuropathy.
2: Absolutely. So, over-treating these patients is a key issue and concern, especially given, as I'm just describing, the lack of definitive evidence for yeah. the benefit of post-operative chemotherapy in those patients. So, where do we stand now? The guidelines in the US, the NCCA guidelines, do recommend post-operative chemotherapy even in patients who receive neoadjuvant chemotherapy and radiation? mostly guided by extrapolation from colon, which probably doesn't apply or shouldn't apply, but also some meta-analysis that have shown benefit. Having said that, some other meta-analysis have been uh, negative. For example, those four randomized trials were all pulled together and analyzed um, in a 2015 paper. And what they found was that in those patients, there was no benefit in DFS or reverse survival. But in that trial, they just looked at patients who had a stage 2 or 3 after neoadjuvant chemotherapy. So they excluded the very feveral patients, like our patient. Yes. Now, that may seem paradoxical, because those were patients that one may argue, you know, should need more therapy since they didn't downstage. But the problem is, it also indicates perhaps that they are chemo-resistant. Yeah. And especially in all the trials I mentioned, the adjuvant in the majority of them, the adjuvant chemotherapy was fluorouracil only. So if you haven't responded with fluorouracil and radiation, you know, is it really that, you know, uh, unreasonable to think that you may not derive benefit if I give you more fluorouracil?
1: Right. Right.
2: So this creates the question of whether, as the URTC has suggested, those uh, more downstage patients benefit. That was the original hint from the URTC trial that those who have shown some shrinkage may respond. But, going back to your question on our patient, the conundrum there is that now there have been data on patients doing extremely well that have this downstaging. So, in retrospective series, both from the Anderson, but also in a series that uh, recently was published, patients who have had a YPT0N0 following neoadjuvant chemotherapy radiation and surgery, like our patient, had a disease-free survival in the 90s, 96%, an overall survival of approaching 100%. uh, Showing that indeed, when you look at the pathologic surgical staging post-surgery, those complete responders do not derive benefit. However, patients that have a T1 post or a T2 after surgery are the ones that may derive the most benefit. Right. And again, right. consistent with some of the data, the patients that have now higher T-stages or end positive disease following treatment also do not derive benefit. The idea there being they were very chemo-resistant to begin with. To begin with. right. So we may have two extremes and now where you know, where we think what should be done of patients who may not need it if they do amazingly well, and also patients perhaps where they didn't. The caveats there are that the data I mentioned you know, for those patients that didn't downstage enough, the question of whether intensifying adjuvant chemotherapy is still an open one. Do we do more intensive, let's say, with oxaliplatin condition, avastin, you know, a- a- akin to metastatic disease in those patients? Yes. That is an open question that didn't downstage. And the other, of course, questions are there other features that none of these trials account for. For example, in the meta-analysis, there was a hint that high rectal patients may derive more benefit than low rectal patients.
1: Yeah, uh, which kind of makes no sense because the uh, high rectal patients, usually you can get four or five centimeters of margin. Uh, there's, there's, uh, right. they're almost, we almost have to look upon them as a colon patient The right. uh, as opposed to a, a, a rectal patient.
2: But perhaps, and as you know, the the and colon cancer is more strong for the, perhaps because they're more like colon, they may derive benefit because of other local anatomy reasons or other, yeah. you know, uh, things. That has to be verified. There's, of course, a, the Alliance trial, the PROSPECT trial that right. looks at omitting radiotherapy in the neoadjuvant setting and doing chemotherapy instead.
1: Yeah, there may be... I think there's, um, going forward, there's, uh, the summarize that, as you said, that the patients who have a complete response or patients who have a very poor response are maybe the group that you have to rethink at this time what to do with them. Exactly. Um... Particularly if you have a drug that may give them a permanent neuropathy, and our, right. our patient's diabetic, so that might be an issue. Right. But as you said, the ones in the middle, maybe they, they would benefit, particularly if it's been some downstaging, but still a hint of a positive note. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And then I think the other thing is is that there is going to be the results of the three month versus six month uh, trial on colon cancer right. using Folfox, and that would, I think, take a lot of. Uh, pressure and also take a lot of morbidity away uh, f- and may dovetail nicely with the prospect trial because if you give three months of chemo and then surgery, then the patient's done. And one of the things I have heard from the prospect trial for our listeners that's where you give uh, basically chemo radiation sort of standard versus chemotherapy in a comparison to see if you get the same ability to get the cancer out, do sphincter preservation, and all those things that we look for in rectal cancer. One of the things that one of the we've contributed quite a few patients, and the, the the hint is that you actually don't have to use a temporary ileostomy as often with a patient who's just gotten chemotherapy alone, than a patient who's gotten the chemo radiation. But going forward, I guess we need a trial. But are are, are I, we going to see one?
2: I think I think so. I think you're exactly. I think uh, there. Could, there's definitely is a need to look at those, as you said, YPT0s or even the T1s, you know, the ones that did really well with no lymph nodes positive and ask the question, is any adjuvant therapy even needed in those patients? Right. You know, and, of course, as we said, there may be a role for intensifying perhaps adjuvant therapy in the ones that didn't downstage because I would say the data right now doesn't look great for those patients. Both the meta-analysis and the prospective trials may argue that, you know, you probably should not be doing at least the standard uh, adjuvant therapy. Right. Uh, Although oxaliplatin, again, was not adding a lot of those. So, again, are we going to see a trial in those subsets? I think one challenge with the complete responders, like our patient, is that, um, you know, there's not... Well, the rate for that has been reported up to 20%, depending on the center. uh, And they do so well, as we just described, uh, um, that one would need a very long follow-up and also, again, multiple centers would need to be involved to accrue the numbers. Having said that, I think one could reasonably think about doing a trial, in, let's say the node negative perhaps, patients. Yes. The N0 patients. And then one could include complete responders, t zeros, but also maybe T1s and T2s, and distinguish that, basically the stage 1 adjuvant right. chemotherapy group, right. and at least separate that from the T3, T4s and positive ones. Yes. So doing a trial, I think, in that uh, space... The T0s to T2s and 0 patients right. would definitely be worthwhile. And one could perhaps explore, going back, You know whether, yes, the complete responders and so forth behave differently. But yeah. I think that is needed. You know, so that well,
1: we, we know some people who are in charge of the alliance. and so we'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> We could talk about that. Yeah. Well, Mario, thank you very much. This was great. And uh, we'll be seeing you at conferences. All right, Sounds great. good. Super, thanks.
2: Yeah, perfect.
1: So, Jeff, what do you think about the patient that Mario presented and all the data that Mario presented about a, a person coming to your office after surgery, after chemo radiation, who's had a complete response?
0: I think you both pointed out the challenges in this type of patient because we don't really have the data we need to know exactly what to do for these patients. You know, historically, all therapy was given after surgery. And the approach was to use both chemotherapy and chemoradiation. It wasn't to take components of that. Uh, and that was an improvement compared to surgery alone. And the question really is, which component's the most important as we've moved therapy prior to surgery, particularly and more standardly, the chemotherapy and radiation, where you only have five weeks of chemotherapy, just the fluorouracil to try to deal both with the risk of a local recurrence and the distal recurrence. And you know the distal recurrence is probably similar to colon cancer in the sense that we worry about micrometastatic disease. And we know in colon cancer, 12 months of therapy was not better than six months. But, and we're hopefully we'll soon learn whether three months is as good as six months. But if you at least extrapolate what we know so far, having only five weeks of treatment may or may not be enough. And again, it's only with a fluoroprimidine. And we also know for rectal cancer, there's probably a little bit of higher risk of recurrence stage for stage, both local as well as distal recurrence. Uh, And so it raises the question is, is just the five weeks of of fluoroprimidine during your radiation enough? Even if you have a complete response, because the complete response is a complete local response, not necessarily knowledge of what there is related to distant micrometastases.
1: I think there was a an editorial out of Memorial saying that perhaps if we're going to put our toe in the water at not giving patients post-operative chemotherapy, it was with the group with a complete response. And wouldn't you agree that if it wasn't for the the side effects of oxaliplatinum, it would be more of a moot point because the permanent side effect of the neuropathy, particularly up here in the Northeast where the weather's cold, yeah. is quite profound, not in certainly in the in, in a not the vast majority of patients, but in a minority of patients. So would it be simpler to just not give it or maybe just give a 5-FU in patients who've had a great response to chemo radiation or a complete response?
0: Yeah, and, and so this comes up with actually most of the GI diseases that we treat with radiation up front. Is the people who had a complete response indicative that they're more sensitive treatment and they actually may benefit more than someone who's had really a minimal response? Um, then the question is how much it benefits chemo anyway in them, and uh, these are just unknown questions. I mean, the one thing to know about oxaliplatin with rectal cancer, and you know, again, this is trying to extrapolate the data we had postoperatively, where you had patients have surgery, they had a sandwich of the chemo radiation in between, they had some chemo before initially, the Mayo Clinic five days in a row, once a month, and then some after and you sort of got credit for the chemo that you had. Several of the cycles were during radiation. So I think a lot of us have adopted that if you do post-operative full FOX with oxaliplatin, we do eight cycles. And what we do know about oxaliplatin is it's the the neuropathy increases with cumulative dose. So uh, eight cycles uh, for a lot of patients doesn't get quite to the threshold where it's as bad of a cumulative neuropathy. And again, the cumulative neuropathy can take months to years to improve. And there's certainly people after four, six, four to six cycles who have really more lasting neuropathy. But eight cycles for most patients doesn't get them to the threshold that we see with colon cancer, where it's clear most patients can't get 12 cycles. The median's 10 to 11 for most patients with oxaliplatin, even, even with dose reductions, needing to drop it for the last few. So that does help somewhat. But it still raises the question: Is is that more than we need, it, even in these patients? And and the data from the duration trials in colon cancer uh, can hopefully be informative of what to do in this situation as well.
1: So, last question: When is that three versus six month trial uh, going to be mature enough that we can get some answers uh, about both colon cancer chemotherapy duration and the question of postoperative rectal cancer therapy yeah. duration?
0: So um so. The duration trials, there were actually six worldwide. There was one that was conducted through the cooperative groups in the US and Canada, um, CLGB SWAG 8702. There was a trial in England, a trial in France, a trial in Greece, a trial in Italy, uh, and a trial in Japan. Um, and there has been a prospective agreement to pool the, all those data together. It's The goal was to have 10,500 patients. We're actually up to 12,000 patients, and the hope that the maturity of the data to look at the three versus six is sometime in late 2016.
1: Well, that'll be excellent because that will won't answer the question, but it will. I certainly take away. I think some of the reluctance uh, by oncologists to aggressively treat in a patient who's had a complete response.
0: Yeah, and we're going to, you know, obviously then try to figure out how to extrapolate to rectal cancer, but presumably if three months, which, you know, essentially six treatments of whole in colon cancer is non-inferior to 12 treatments, then eight treatments after surgery for rectal cancer is probably more than needed too. and then it's trying to figure out how to extrapolate that whether it's four or six also. But again, the less you have, the less likely you have a permanent cumulative neuropathy.
1: Well, this is great, and we thank Mario for putting together such an extensive review. Yeah, he did a great job. And I think also, too, going forward, uh, ultimately it'd be great to have a trial, but we'll we'll just have to uh, wait and see if there's someone who could put that together for us. And we'll talk to the uh, head of the GI committee at Alliance and see what he says. Thanks very much. (laughs)